0: morning church. It's good to be together today, the second week of Advent. I don't know if you know this or not, but Advent is a great time to talk about superheroes. So we are going uh, to do that today. Also, good news, I know everyone's wondering, uh, my laser pointer came in the mail this week, so super fun. Let's talk about superheroes. So you may or may not know there are a few different families of superheroes. I don't know how into superheroes uh, you are. You may know about the DC Universe group of superheroes. And so if you're into the DC family of superheroes, you know, oh, oh, we cheering. That's good. We know we have some DC people in the house today. That's really good. So Iron Man and Wonder Woman and Superman and Batman and other people like that. But there's another family of superheroes And this is the Marvel family of superheroes. Any Marvel people in the house I'm hearing? Okay, I think Marvel wins so far, but that's all right. It's not a competition. It's a family. We're just supposed to love each other. So Marvel, if you're not sure, you know, I'll use my laser pointer. You got like this guy, Hulk. All right, you got like this guy, Spider-Man, Wolverine, Captain America, like a whole deal. Here's what I think is awesome about superheroes. There's two things that are true. They possess great strength, but they also have a wound. Like they have great power, great strength, great ability, but, but there's a wound that is present. Like there's something that they have to overcome. And I just have to be honest with you today. As a little kid, I wasn't really that into the DC Universe superheroes. As a young kid, I really wasn't that into the Marvel universe of superheroes. Like Batman was cool, Spider-Man was fine, but I want to show you the superhero that I esteemed as a little kid. His name is Jim Kelly. I had this poster in my room and I would write letters. I probably wrote Over a hundred letters to this guy um, as a little kid. And if you've been alive long enough, you know that he took the Buffalo Bills to the Super Bowl four years in a row. And yes, you will know that they lost every single year. But this guy, in my eyes, could do no wrong. I watched him torch defenses in the AFC as a seven-year-old, as an eight-year-old, as a nine-year-old, as a 10-year-old. He had superpowers. But we also know that he had a wound. Uh, This is in 2014 when he was fighting and battling his second round of mouth cancer, and that's his daughter, Amy, laying in the bed with him. And so as we come around this idea of Christmas, What happens, I think, often is we talk about this baby who's born in this manger, and there's shepherds involved, and there's wise men involved, and there's a teenage mother involved, and what happens is we don't often come to understand that the baby who's laying in the manger is more than a baby. He's a hero. He's a rescuer. He's a champion. He doesn't need to grow into a rescuer. He is a rescuer. He doesn't have to grow into a champion. He already is. His presence in the world changes things in the same way that the presence of a superhero in someone's world, changes the conversation, it changes the dynamic. And last week, Richie kicked off our Advent series in the book of Isaiah, and we're just kind of calling these series of conversations, He Shall Be Called. And it comes from this passage in Isaiah. Unto us a child is born... To us, a son is given. And, and the government is going to be placed on his shoulders, And he's going to be called Wonderful Counselor. He's going to be called Mighty God. He's going to be called Everlasting Father. And he's going to be called Prince of Peace. A little bit of context that we need to talk about. So here's the map. Uh, that Richie showed last week. So laser pointer time. I'm gonna be doing this a lot. So buckle up, grab your popcorn. So we have two kingdoms, right? We have the Northern Kingdom of Israel. So here's like where the Sea of Galilee is. Here's like the Jordan River. Here's the Dead Sea down here in the Southern Kingdom. So here's Jerusalem part of Judah in the southern kingdom, and Israel in the north. And in 733, there's this guy named Tiglath-Pileser III. And what Tiglath-Pileser III desires to do is he wants all of the land that he can get his hands on. right? And so there's this place, it's like right here, and it's Damascus. And he takes Damascus, and he takes Israel. And so not only is the kingdom divided, but now the kingdom, the northern kingdom of Israel, doesn't even belong to the Israelites anymore. It belongs to Tiglath, Pileser III. And there's this gloom and distress that we find in Isaiah chapter 8. And there's this gloom and distress comes because of the israelites disobedience to god like there there's consequences for walking outside of god's will and his intention his heart and his love for his people and and they desire to kind of do their own thing to walk in their own way to, to worship their own gods and as a result god allows tiglath-pileser the 3rd in his pride and his power to come and conquer the land. But there's always a turn with God. And God will turn their humiliation into glory. And he turns their humiliation, their, their grief, their defeat into glory by sending his very son But then in 1 Kings chapter 12, a little bit more context, the northern tribes, these tribes up here, they reject the the king that God has brought to them. It's the grandson of David. And if you're a Bible trivia person, his name is Rehoboam, and his grandfather was King David. And they reject him. They say, No, we don't we don't want the king that you have brought to us that's in your line. So there's David, and then there's his son Solomon, and then Solomon has a son, and this is Rehoboam, and they say, No, we don't want him. We we want Jeroboam. And you're like, Oh, who's Jeroboam? Jeroboam is the son of a servant who used to serve in Solomon's court. But they had a, a fight, they had a breakup. And so Israel's is like, no, we don't want the, the king that comes from the house of David. We want something, someone totally detached. And a theme of Israel is that they don't want what God has set in front of them. They want to go find something else and bring it into the Lord's house. This happens over and over and over again. And we can't blame Israel for that. We can't throw stones at Israel for that. We can't shame Israel for that. Why? Because we are Israel. Because we desire to reject what God has set in front of us. Like, this is my heart for you. This is my desire for you. This is my will for you. What happens with us? We find ourselves going outside of that. And taking something outside of the house of God and placing it within the house of God. But something amazing happens. Even though they reject Rehoboam in favor of Jeroboam, salvation will come from the very one that they rejected. The house of David, they rejected that family. Now we know King David did amazing things. We know he had a son Solomon and now he's, has, King David has his grandson we want nothing to do with all of that. So that's the context of Isaiah chapter 9. So let's read this together. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the Gentiles. By the way of the sea, along the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as men rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. Here's the Christmas card part. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, From that time on and forever, the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. So there's some promises that are coming to the people of Israel, even though they have rejected God's heart. They've rejected God's plan. They've rejected God's king. Like there are promises that are coming to them, and we can count them that there's going to be great joy. And we're not talking about happiness. We're not talking about being so excited about something that you would even maybe do a few claps. Like, we're talking about throwing your hands in the air, great joy. Like, we're talking about before there was virtual school, a nine year old hearing that we were going to have a snow day, great joy. Like, you mean I can actually do whatever I want today? I can go outside and build a snowman? I don't have to worry about standing in the lunch line? Like, I have a day of freedom, a day off. That whole snow day thing's changed a little bit in the last year. Sorry to be the bearer of bad news. But I'm talking about great joy. And then he says, there's going to be a breaking of the yoke of their burden. Can I just ask you to think this morning about what the greatest burden in your life is? And can I ask you to imagine what it might feel like to be able to feel that burden being lifted off of your shoulders? It's a little bit like the moment when you're carrying the groceries inside and there's maybe some stairs involved. I remember when Michaela and I were living in an apartment in our first few years of marriage and we would carry the groceries all the way up to the third floor of the apartment. And then that moment where you just set them down. It's like, oh. This is the promise of God to the people of Israel. The thing that is burdening you, the thing that is wearying you, it's coming to an end. And then there's more promises that the rod of the oppressor is going to be broken. This is a powerful image. There's, a, there's an oppressor, and he has a rod that he uses against the people of Israel. And the promise of God is that that rod, that weapon that is used against God's people, God's going to break. Like actually you're not able to use that weapon against my people anymore because I'm snapping it in half. I'm draining of its power. And then there's going to be complete victory over their enemies. So unto us a child is born. What's that about? I think it's a statement of Jesus' humanity. Like unto us, a a child is born, and this involves a placenta. This involves crawling. This involves crying, hunger, thirst, fatigue, and pain. And historically, I think the church has struggled a little bit to understand the human Jesus. Like, we might be very comfortable with the divine Jesus. Like, we believe that he is both divine and human. It's what separates the way that we think about the world from the way that some other people think about the world. We, we, we understand that the God that we worship took on flesh and he dwelt among us. We've talked about this before that in the message paraphrase of the scriptures, it says that God moved into the neighborhood. So that God has moved in next door to his people. There's this great church father. He's got an amazing name, as most of them do. And his name is Gregory of Nazianzus. And he once wrote this powerful sentence, that which is not assumed is not healed. And what Gregory is talking about is that if Jesus doesn't fully assume everything that it means to be human, he cannot heal the brokenness of humankind. So he needs to fully assume everything that it is to be human. So he steps off of his throne in heaven and he becomes a baby inside of a womb of a young teenage woman. And there's crying and crawling and hungering and thirsting and pain involved in that existence so that he may once and for all silence all pain and all crying and all hardship and all brokenness. And in the second century, there were people who were trying to figure out, okay, like how do we talk about Jesus as human? And so there's a couple different heresies. One, one heresy is this heresy of, of docetism. And docetism is this idea that Jesus didn't really have a human body. Like he appeared to have a human body, but he didn't really have a human body. It matters that he had a human body. It matters that he had wounds. It matters that he gave his life on a Roman cross. That He wrote down his name in the history books. So that's kind of one heresy. There's another heresy called Apollinarianism. And Apollinarianism is the idea that Jesus didn't have a human mind. Like he had a human body, but he had a divine mind. Why does it matter that Jesus had a human mind? Have you ever forgot something before in your life? Have you ever been in aisle nine of High V and being like, oh, what was I going? There's maybe no greater picture of brokenness than our minds because they have limits, because there's brokenness in our minds. I love what Hebrews says, ah, too fast. We're still getting used to each other. We're still dating. All right, Hebrews chapter 2. Since the children have flesh and blood, so children, that's you and me, he too, who is Jesus, shared in their humanity. So why? So that by his death, laser pointer, he might destroy him, the evil one, who holds the power of death. That is the devil. And then verse 15. And free those who all of their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death for surely it is not angels he helps but Abraham's descendants for this reason he had to be made like his brothers in every way in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people, because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. So, for unto us a child is born is a picture of Jesus' humanity. For unto us a son is given is a statement of his divinity. So, what we believe is that that Jesus has always existed as God but then he was given to the world as savior. So Jesus is pre-existent and he's existed as a second person of the Trinity but there is a moment when he is given to the world as savior. So yes he's a child who's born but he's also a son of who is given, and we all, many of us know this verse, for God so loved the world, that what? That he gave his one and only son, and whoever believed in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Thank you to my Awana teacher who helped me with that one. He's a son who is given as Savior of the world. So what do we believe about Jesus? That he has undiminished deity and that he has unprotected humanity. Like his deity is not diminished at all, but he also didn't come to earth protecting himself from what it was to be human, from what it was to carry grief and worry and hardship and pain. And in this passage, Isaiah says that he's wonderful counselor, but that he's also mighty God. And I want to tell you this week, I made a wrong assumption about this text. I've, been, I've known that I was going to talk about him as mighty God for a long time. And, and the picture in my mind with mighty was like, oh, it means that like, the picture we have of of God, his name, he's like strong, he's powerful, like he's one of those like muscly people. And as I dug this week into the original language, it's actually different than that, but it's actually more beautiful than that. So I was thinking that it was this, this Hebrew word hasak, hasak means strong and mighty, powerful. But that's not the word that Isaiah uses in this passage. I want to show you the word that he uses. He uses this other word, El Gabor. And it's really like a a two-word name. El is the the singular form of this word Elohim. And Elohim in the New Testament is is a reference to the one true God. So why does that matter? Why is it important? Why are you telling me this? Because when Jesus comes to earth, in laying in a manger with some clothes wrapped around him, he's a baby who is does not only possess the power of God. He's a baby who is the power of God. Like he is the way that freedom and justice and holiness and healing come to the earth. And Gabor is this word that's used in the Old Testament for God's representative on a battlefield. So have you ever been in in a fight, in an argument, in a moment where you needed a representative to step onto the battlefield with you? Have you ever been in the middle of something and you just felt alone and what you needed was someone to stand with you? This is the child that's placed in a manger He's Messiah God, Isaiah says. It's an individual who has demonstrated strength in a conflict or a battle. So it's not just someone who is strong and who is mighty, not just someone who possesses strength, but someone who has a track record of using strength for the benefit of one who needs it. Isn't that more beautiful than hasak? Isn't that just more beautiful than having strength? Isn't it amazing that we have a God who not just possesses mighty, possesses powerful, possesses strength, but that he actually uses it among a people who need it? I'd like to thank my Hebrew professor for helping me with that. Sorry, I got a C- minus on my final exam. So question... What battles are present in your world? There's lots of ways we can battle. We can battle our minds. I think we can battle our past. I think we can battle someone who lives at our address. I think we can battle a person that we interact with on a daily basis in the context of our work. We can battle people in the world who seem to have great power and they have no idea who we are, but they impact our day-to-day more than we would like to care to admit. A couple things about Jesus that I wanted to share with you today. Number one, That Jesus is mighty before his birth. Because Jesus creates the world that he will one day enter. 1 John 1, verse 3, all things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. And then Colossians, we just got done with this one. Colossians 1, for by him, all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him. And then you know, because we talked about it right after it, says, And in him all things hold together. So Jesus is mighty before his birth. But Jesus is also mighty during and after his earthly life. So what is he mighty over? He's mighty over nature, over the created order. So there's this story in the scriptures and Jesus is on the the sea with some disciples and his disciples find themselves in the middle of a storm. They're fishermen. They're used to things being crazy on the sea. The Sea of Galilee is in a place where there's crazy wind and weather, and so it just, you can count on it. If you're going to spend a day on the Sea of Galilee, it's probably going to be crazy. And the disciples are freaking out, and they're worried, and they wake Jesus up, and they ask Jesus, like, would you do something about our battlefield? Like, would you do something about the moment that we are in? And Jesus doesn't shame them. Jesus just speaks to the wind and the waves. And he tells them to be quiet. In the original language, it's this phrase, be muzzled. And then the disciples are like, whoa. Who is this guy? Even the wind and the waves recognize his voice. So he's mighty over nature. He's mighty over disease. Think of all of the people in the scriptures that, that come to Jesus needing disease. People who can't walk. People who can't see. There's a story in the book of Mark and there's a guy who has a, a shriveled hand. And he comes to Jesus and Jesus does something I think probably embarrassing for the guy is he calls him in front of everybody. How many of us like that to happen to us? You know, that someone left a coffee cup here last week and it's on the ledge out in the deal. I'm not going to hold it up to be like, whose is this? I just put it on the ledge so you can on your way out. Oh, that's mine. I'll take that. Thank you. We don't like that. But Jesus calls this man to the front and heals him. As I would say, this moment this is not about you. This moment is about me. This moment is not what has happened to you or what you are able to do. This moment is about how I am Messiah God. I'm king over the universe, I'm mighty over disease. And can I just tell the room today that, that in the end, everyone's getting healed? And of course, not everybody has been healed. Of course, there are people that we have prayed for, that we have desired for healing to find their bodies, but it just has not happened that way. We all have stories today of that happening, but we can stand in the hope and in the confidence and in the truth that because Jesus is healer, he will not leave anyone unhealed. Although that might not be happening today. He's mighty over demons. So we've got a story in the New Testament about a guy who wasn't even allowed to live inside the city. He had to live in the outskirts of the town because they didn't want him around. You know, now there's a lot of people who want to live on the outskirts of the city. Like, I'm going to... Sign up for a rural land loan because I don't want to deal with city limit stuff. I want my own. But in the ancient world, there was shame connected with that. He's living on the outskirts and he's being controlled by these supernatural forces, by these demons, and Jesus, with a word, casts them out. He's mighty over sin. So even in his last moments, in his last breaths, he's hanging on a cross in between two thieves. And there's two guilty people, but three people are dying. And there's a man that turns to Jesus and in a a moment, in a statement of great faith says, Hey, will you remember me in your coming kingdom? And Jesus turns to him and says, Today I tell you, you'll be with me in paradise as if to say, I've always remembered you. There hasn't ever been a moment when you've been forgotten. There hasn't ever been a moment when I have not had you on my mind, when I have not thought of you, when I have not understood your moment, your situation, your story. And of course, you will be welcomed into paradise. And then he's mighty over death. And this is Easter. This is what we celebrate. And it's actually what we celebrate every Sunday. You ever thought about why we come to church on Sunday? It's not because nobody has stuff going on. Because we have stuff going on every day. I mean, at least I do. I don't know about you all, but that's the way our world has been patterned. But in in the early church, They made Sunday in the calendar the first day of the week because it's the day when Jesus rose from the grave. And so every Sunday is Resurrection Day. And they considered this this false messiah, this man from Nazareth, to be dead in a tomb that he had to borrow from someone else. Because he didn't have enough money to have his own tomb. And then he's raised from the dead and he appears to some women. And some women go and tell the disciples. And the disciples come running to the tomb because even the disciples couldn't believe it. That he was mighty, powerful, enough to defeat death. Even though they had seen him on the Sea of Galilee. Even though they had seen him be victorious and mighty over disease. They still didn't truly believe it. So here's, at Christmas time, we need to talk about Satan's original lie. That if we fully trust and obey God, we will be miserable. Christmas is a way of God replacing that lie of Satan with the truth of his own. And it's that, no, if you fully trust and obey God, you will stand in my victory. Because if you read Isaiah, they're doing miserable by themselves pretty well. I mean, Isaiah 8.22, that Richie talked about last week, then they will look toward the earth and see only distress and darkness and fearful gloom, and they will be thrust into utter darkness. They've got that kind of handled. They don't need God for miserable because they've already got that in the deal. And so, I invite the worship team forward this morning as we close. I just want you to think about this question. How do you feel about your biceps? If you want, you could just kind of put your hand on your biceps if you want. And we could go around the room today. And some of us would answer that question in one kind of a way. And others of us would answer that question in a different way. There are some people in the room today, and you feel actually fairly decent about your biceps. About your own strength. About what you are able to do. And there are other people in the room, I'm not going to point them out, who maybe don't feel as awesome about their own strength. They don't maybe feel as good about the strength of their biceps. Like they don't feel mighty. They don't feel powerful. They don't feel able today. But here's what I love about Christmas is that it is about a child who is born and a son who is given for all of the battlefields that you will ever step onto in your life. He's a child who's born and he's a son that's given for the battlefield that you stood on when you were seven. And he's a child who's born and he's a son who's given who stood on the battlefield with you when you were 13. And he's a child who was born and he's a son that was given who stood with you on the battlefield when you were 20. That's what we get to celebrate. Not only is, is he hasak. Mighty, powerful, strong. He's El Gabor, the mighty one. Mighty over nature, mighty over disease, mighty over brokenness, mighty over sin, mighty over death. And we have to know that peace with God ultimately is going to cause a sword against darkness. And because peace with God is going to cause a sword against darkness, it's just good news that we have a God who steps into the darkness with us, onto that battlefield with us. And we also know that the first step in a battle is to show up. That has to happen for there to be a battle. You have to show up. has to be somebody in this corner and somebody in that corner what I love about Advent, what I love about Christmas is in Jesus, in the one who is El Gabor, the mighty one, we have a God who does just that. And he shows up on the battlefield when Israel desperately needed him to. So I don't know what battlefield you find yourself on right now in this moment. I don't know how you feel about the size of your bicep, how mighty, how strong, how powerful you feel. But you need to know that you have a God who is Messiah God. Who is able to do any much more than you can ask, imagine, dream, think. And he's able because he's shown he's able. He's El Gabor. Yeah, he's wonderful. Yes, he's counselor. But he's mighty today. And I pray that as you walk through this Christmas season, I want you to see the baby. I want you to see how he's fragile, how he's new, how he's human. But I also want you to see how he's hero. How he's warrior and how he's able. Will you pray with me?